have to make some kind of public statement and they'll come out and say, well, I didn't really mean to say that. Uh, a number of years ago, I remember a defensive back for the Miami Dolphins had spit in the face of a female reporter in the locker room after a game. And after, upon doing that, of course, he got all kind of negative publicity. <clears throat> and so here was his apology in the press the next day. <clears throat> Excuse me. He said, I'm sort of kind of sorry for doing that. My soul doesn't feel real good about it. Sort of kind of sorry for spitting in a person's face. That's not much of an apology. I've heard my children, you know, with gritted teeth saying, I'm sorry to their sister, you know, or to their brother. I've heard that come off more apologetic than a statement like that. But I want us to look tonight at what it really means to be sorry for sin. What it really means to repent. I think sometimes we put the wrong focus uh, if we're trying to say, well, you know, what's the hard thing about becoming a Christian? Immediately people will put their attention to baptism. Man, it's hard to get people baptized. It's hard to get them in the water. It's hard. Not, Not really. That's not hard. I mean, nearly every religious body, in some way or another, they practice a ritual of baptism. It's not that people have an aversion to to being in the water. That's not the hard part. The hard part to conversion is not faith. It's easy to believe in Jesus. It's easy to trust Him when you look at who He is and what we know of Him revealed through Scripture. The hard thing in bringing about conversion of man is repentance for a man to own up and say, I'm wrong, I'm sorry, forgive me. We need to be reminded how to do that. And David shows us how. Sometimes because repentance is so hard, we play at it. We substitute for it. We do a lesser form of it. I have a cold this week, and I've got a tickle in my throat, so uh, I'm having a little (coughs) trouble there. Excuse me. But um, what, what does it really look like when a person just truly repents? Well, let's look at Psalm 51 and uh, read with me verses 1 through 4. I brought some water up here because I figured I would need it, and I do, so excuse me. Psalm 51 and verse 4. The context, David has committed adultery. And not only has he committed adultery, but he has tried to cover it up, and by trying to cover it up, he puts a man to death. You know, I don't know what our sins are, And I don't know what it is that you're so ashamed of, the thing in your life that you're the most ashamed of. But you probably haven't put somebody to death in that cold, calculated way. We all make mistakes, but this is a time in David's life when he walked away from God. Um, This case with Uriah. And so David is confronted with this He's exposed, 
So now he has a choice. What am I going to do? Am I going to defend myself? Am I going to uh, rebel? Am I going to repent? Am I going to come partially clean? Am I going to try to hide part of the story? Or am I just going to come clean and, and lay it all out there? Listen to what he says. Psalm 51, verses 1 through 4. Have mercy upon me, O God. According to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge." True repentance begins when we stop fooling ourselves. We stop making excuses. We stop justifying. We say, I have sinned. You remember when Nathan came to David and David, he said, you're the man. And David said, I have sinned. Look how many times David acknowledges sin here. Look at what he said. He said, um, in verse 2, my transgressions. He speaks of transgressions. He speaks of iniquity. He speaks of sin in verse 2. Then he speaks of, again of his transgression and his sin in verse 3. And he says again in verse 4, I have sinned. Sin, sin, sin. He says it over and over again in these verses. It's not a mistake. It's not a... A misjudgment, it's not um, an indiscretion, it's not a sickness. He says, I have sinned. When we begin to deal with sin, a person who's truly going to repent is going to quit trying to justify, quit trying to lessen, quit trying to soften. He's going to just face the reality and say, I sinned. And that's what David did. Well, let's look at what else true repentance involves. Also, in those first four verses, it's the end of blaming others. Repentance brings to an end a few things, and it it, it is the beginning of a few other things. And we'll see that as we go through this chapter. But it's the end of fooling ourselves. It's the end of blaming others. Notice how many times he said, My sin, my transgression... My iniquity, mine, not ours. There's no, well, if I've done anything that I shouldn't have done, if I've, if I've done anything that hurt somebody, if, if, no preface by if, says it's mine. You, against you and you only have I sinned. It's my iniquity, my sin, no blame. Well, she shouldn't have been up on that roof. She should have at least put a curtain up. I mean, what's the woman thinking? She should have. He didn't do any of that. It's my fault. He takes ownership. No one causes you to sin. The Apostle Paul said that with every temptation comes a way to escape. We always have the choice to do right. And if we don't do right, well, there may be people that contribute to your sin, but at the end of the day, you chose to do it. It's your fault if you sin. If you want to truly repent, you have to be willing to say, 
this is wrong, it's sin, and it's my choice. I did it. It doesn't matter about what somebody else did. It doesn't matter how mad they made me. It doesn't matter what they did to affect my attitude. It's still my choice to have the attitudes, to have the actions, to have the words that I spoke. Look at verse 6. It's also the end of covering up. In verse 6, David said, Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you will make known uh, to, to know wisdom. God's not concerned about just outward appearances. He's concerned about the inner man. And, and do you not think that David was torn for those months that he was going by? He's, he's living a lie. He's committed a sin, a, a grievous sin. And, and he knows it. Others may not have known it. But he's through with the charade. God, I, I can't go on like this. I can't pretend anymore. I, I need to just lay it all out there. I, I need you to know my inward parts, and I, I need to reveal all this. I'm tired of playing the role of a hypocrite. Repentance doesn't allow you to live a double life. Repentance doesn't allow you to pretend <coughs> to be one thing when deep down you know you're something else. So he brings to an end his inner secret. He says, I, I open up my life, my inward parts to you. I, I want you to see me for who I am. Look what else. Those are the end, but look at what it's the beginning of, genuine repentance. It's the beginning of having a concern for God's presence in your life. Look at Psalm 51 and verse 11. <clears throat> do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. All of a sudden, because he's repented, he's concerned about God's presence in his life. He doesn't want to go it alone. He doesn't want to live for himself. He, he's concerned about God and his relationship to God. During his sin, God? Who's God? I'm having fun. You know, I'm, I'm living on the edge. I'm, I'm, there's a lot of excitement and, and some risky stuff going on. It's an adrenaline rush. He wasn't thinking about God. But now, after it's over and the adrenaline's gone, he says, I want, I want God in my life. I don't want him to desert me. I, I know that what I've done has affected my relationship with him and I, I want him back. That's what true repentance involves. We stop fooling ourselves. We stop blaming others. We stop covering up. And we begin saying, I want God's presence back in my life. Look at verse 13. It's also not only the beginning of God being present in one's life again, but it's also the beginning of having concern for others again. Verse 13, Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will be converted to you. When we choose to sin, how many people do we step on? How many people get hurt? When I say things I shouldn't say, and I get that off my chest, 
and I'm done, who have I affected? And how long will those effects last? When, when I'm done, you know, um, people will sometimes say, young people will sometimes say, well, we're in love, you know. And, and maybe I shouldn't be doing some of the things that we're doing, but, but I'm in love. We're in love with each other. If you love that person, you wouldn't jeopardize their soul by sinful conduct. You know, when you sin, you usually involve someone else. We don't usually sin by ourselves. We don't sin, you know, in a bubble. Romans, the Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 14, no man lives to himself, no man dies to himself. David now recognizes his concern for other people. Man, what was I thinking? I, I've done, th- I, I've affected Bathsheba's life. I've affected um, Uriah's life. I took his life. And, you know, this is just something for you to consider, to think about. David had a close advisor by the name of Ahithophel. Ahithophel was his right-hand man. His counsel was the counsel as as if it came from God. He was a good, helpful, faithful advisor to David. But you know what? When Jonathan, or when um, Absalom rebelled against David, you know what happened? Ahithophel joined Absalom's side. And not only did he join Absalom's side, when it came a decision, a time to decide, well, what are we going to do? We've run David out of town. Do we chase him down and kill him, or do we just let him leave? Ahithophel was there saying, let's go get him. I want to kill him. I want to put him to death. Don't let him just leave. And he was so angry with David and wanted him to be put to death when Absalom said, I don't think we're going to go that way. We're just going to let him go. Ahithophel was so distraught, he went out and killed himself. What would cause a man who was so close to David to turn like that against him? Not just to take another man's side, but to take another man's side and pursue his death. Well... I don't know, but this might be a factor. Bathsheba had a father named Eliam. And Eliam's father, Bathsheba's grandfather, was Ahithophel. Hmm. I wonder if Ahithophel looked at what David did to his granddaughter, taking her, murdering her husband, and said, I've had enough with that man. He doesn't deserve to live. And he was so bitter by that that he pursued him. He switched sides. And he's so distraught that he kills himself. The Bible doesn't give us the connection. But if you play it out in your family, if somebody did this to your granddaughter, that person probably wouldn't be high on your list anymore. David affected, suffice it to say, David affected the lives of other people by his sin. And now he realizes that and he says, let me redeem myself. I know I've done things to hurt other people. Now I want to spend my time helping other people. If you'll forgive me, I will go and I will speak of your salvation and I will um, teach transgressors your ways. I want people to be saved. I've got to make up for the mistakes that I have
have committed. True repentance recognizes other people and how we've impacted them by our sin. And then finally, true repentance is the beginning of true joy. Look at what David says in verse 14. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, the God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. When we realize how good God is to us, how can we not feel joy? When we have sinned so much and God has responded with grace instead of judgment, how can we not praise God? True repentance brings us back to a state where we're now forgiven. And because we're forgiven, how can I not be happy and joyful? And a weight of burden is now taken off my shoulders. I'm free from that. Thank God I am free from that. This is what true repentance looks like. It's not just words. It's not just, I'm sorry, uh, uh, forgive me. It's not just a trite expression in a bedtime prayer before we're almost semi-conscious trying to get our nightly prayers in where we routinely and rotely say, and Father, forgive us of our sins in Jesus' name, amen. True repentance looks like this. You say, I'm going to quit fooling myself. I'm going to quit blaming others. I'm going to take responsibility. I'm not going to try to hide anything anymore. I know God sees it all anyway. I'm going to quit playing two different roles, the role of a hypocrite. I'm going to be who I am. I, I want to show that... I'm concerned about God's presence in my life again. I want him back. And I'm going to do what it takes to get him back. And and I want to show that I'm sorry and that I'm concerned for other people now. I was living recklessly, wasn't thinking about others and how I was impacting their lives. Now I don't want to do that. I don't want to behave in a way that would hurt other people. I, I want to get myself right with others. And when I've done that, And there's such a weight that is lifted off of me because now I have that relationship with God as it should be, my relationship with my fellow man is as it should be, and I have hope. I hope that we will learn from David. I know we all sin, all of us. Repentance shouldn't be something that we're, you know, and even, you know, we talk about responding to invitation. Coming down the aisle, we've all sinned. We've all been there. Nobody can judge another person because they have walked down the aisle or confessed sin. Who hasn't? You know, even when a person says, well, I confess I'm a sinner. We already knew that. You didn't have to confess that. Um, we're ahead of you on that one. We're all sinners. And so there's no shame in saying, I have sinned. It's what we ought to be helping each other to do. And this body, this church, ought to be a place where there is such relationship and such openness and acceptance that when I have made a mistake, that I can come and say, I've made a mistake, and I'm not judged, I'm embraced. I'm, I'm lifted up. I'm strengthened.
No one condones sin, but we love those who struggle against it. We'll sin for the rest of our lives. Every once in a while, it'll creep up on us and we'll do things we shouldn't do. It is an ongoing battle until we lay down for the last time. But what we need to be about and the resolve that we need to have is never give in to it. Don't ever let it have dominion over your life. Fight it every day. Fight it. Keep yourself humble. And when you've sinned, do as David did. God doesn't want some trite, rote phrase that has little feeling or emotion. He wants broken hearts. People who truly say and see what they've done and what they've caused by their sin. Repentance is hard. But this is what it looks like. I'm glad that God gave us Psalm 51 because this is what it looks like. And maybe you're here tonight and you need to repent. You're tired of blaming others. You're tired of avoiding or trying to live two lives, uh, compartmentalize yourself. you you got these things going on, and, and maybe they're in your past, but you've never come clean with it. You've just kind of hidden them somewhere down deep inside, and nobody knows about it, maybe, except for God. Come clean. Let God have the outward as well as the inward man. And when you do, you'll find joy. If you need to be baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, we'll assist you in that. If you're a child of God and there are things that you just need to turn away from and to humble yourself and say, I have sinned and I want to do better tonight, we'll pray with you to that end if you'll come as we stand together and sing.